punishment, slavery, or involuntary servitude of that nature. So slavery um, and um, the prison labor exploitation. The United States has once again surpassed its own world record for incarcerating the highest percentage of its population. According to a report released by the Bureau of Prison Statistics, one out of every 32 adults was in prison, in jail, or on probation or parole at the end of 2005. But the crisis of mass incarceration is not felt evenly in the United States. Race defines every aspect of the criminal justice system, from police targeting to crime, charge, and rates of conviction. African-American men between the ages of 20 and 39 account for nearly one-third of all sentenced prisoners. Over the last three decades, the explosion of the prison population in the United States paralleled the stagnation in the global economy. In the early 1970s, the United States and the G7 nations began implementing implementing neoliberal policies moving production from the north to the global south, pushing entire sectors of workers in the United States out of the economy as the economic role of working class in the United States shifted from manufacturing to staffing and rising service industry. African-American workers face staggering rate employment. The mid-70s is also the first period when the incarceration rate in the United States began to rise, doubling in the 80s and doubling again in the 90s. Now, I don't know if uh, people remember this, but those are the eras when the communities became flooded with drugs and guns. I'm going to go on. may surprise some people that as the number of people without jobs increases, the number of working people actually increases. They become prison laborers. Everyone inside has a job. There are currently over 70 factories in California's 33 prisons alone. Prisoners do everything from textile work and construction manufacturing and servicing work. Prisoners make shoes, clothing, detergent. They do dental lab work, recycling, metal production, and wood production. They operate dairy farms, slaughterhouses. United States prisons mirror free enterprise zones in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. The prison is a reflection of the third world within the United States. Because, you know, some companies outsource work from the United States to these uh, so-called third-world countries because it was cheaper labor. So we have that reflection in our prison system. We have the same type of mode occurring in the uh, prison system. So prisoners are not protected by minimum wage laws, as you know, you're incarcerated. Um, overtime and are explicitly barred from the right to organize and collective, collectively bargain. In fact, the conditions for the overwhelming black and Latino men and women inside the United States prison system are so similar to that of workers in the sweatshops of the global south that in 1995, Oregon politicians were even courting Nike to move their production from Indonesia into Oregon, Oregon prison. Uh, to quote, we propose that Nike take a look at their transportation costs and their labor costs. Oregon State Representative Kevin Mannix explained in an interview with researcher Reese Ehrlich, we could offer competitive prison inmate labor in Oregon. Basically, he's saying that, you know, hey, you can save money because we got cheap labor 
in the prison system in Oregon. You don't have to ship your stuff out of the United States. So understand the conditions that have allowed such an exploitative industry to develop. We have to look at the origin of the United States prison system. Before the abolition of slavery, there was no real prison system in the United States. Punishment for crime consisted of physical torture, referred to as corporal or capital punishment. While the model prison in the United States was built in Auburn, New York, in, 19, in 1817, it wasn't until the end of the Civil War with the official abolition of slavery that the prison system took hold. Now, I wonder why. In 1865, the 13th Amendment officially abolished slavery for all people except those convicted of a crime and opened the door for mass criminalization. Prisons were built in the South as a part of the backlash to black reconstruction and as a mechanism mechanism to re-enslave black workers, black men, black people. In the late 19th century, South and extensive prison system was developed in the interest of maintaining the racial and economic relationship of slavery. So the prison system was originally perpetuated to perpetuate slavery, to keep slavery, to keep people enslaved. So what we have is um, Louisiana's famous Angola prison illustrates this history best. In 1880, this 8,000-acre family plantation was purchased by the state of Louisiana and converted into a prison. Slave quarters became cell units, 1,000 acres. The Angola plantation is tilled by prisoners working the land, a chilling picture of modern-day shadow slavery. So the Black Code, when slavery was legally abolished, a new set of laws called the Black Code emerged to criminalize legal activity for African Americans. Through the enforcement of these laws, acts such as standing in one area of town or walking at night, for example, became the criminal act of loitering. That means you just ain't got nothing to do standing out there moseying around or breaking the curfew for which African-Americans were in prison. Imagine that. Results of black code, the percentage of African-Americans in prison grew, surpassing whites for the first time. A system of convict leasing was developed. Convict leasing, that's like you lease a car was developed to allow white slave plantation owners in the South to literally purchase prisoners to live on their property and work under their control. Through this system, prisoners paid an average of 25000 a year to the state in exchange for control over the lives of all the prisoners. The system provided revenue for the state and profit for the plantation owners. This is a business deal. In 1878, Georgia leased out 1,239 prisoners, and all but 115 were African American. It's very, as we say, uh, disproportionate, even in that time. Much like the system of slavery from which it emerged, convict leasing was a violent and abusive system. The death rate of prisoners leased to railroad companies between 1877 and 1879 was 16% in Mississippi, 25% in Arkansas, 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 and 45% in South Carolina. The stories of violence and torture eventually led to to a massive reform in the abolition movement involving alliances between prisoner organizations labor unions, and community groups. By the 1930s, every state had abolished convict leasing, which was basically slavery. Chain gang. 
as the southern states began to phase out convict leases, prisoners were increasingly made to work in the most brutal form of forceful labor, the chain gang. The chain gang originated as part of a massive ro- uh, road development project in the 1890s. Georgia was the first state to begin using chain gang to work male felony convicts outside of the prison walls. Chains were wrapped around the ankles of the prisoners, shackled five together while they worked, ate, and slept. Following Georgia's example, the use of chain gangs spread rapidly throughout the South. So what they did was they took slavery and they just gave it another name. Called it the chain gang. Over 30 years, the African-American prisoners and some white prisoners in the chain gangs were worked at gunpoint under whips and chains in public in a public spectacle of shadow slavery and torture. Eventually, the brutality and violence associated with chain gang labor in the United States gained worldwide attention. The chain gang was abolished in every state by the 1950s, almost 100 years after the end of the Civil War. That's 100 years after the Civil War, they were still enslaving folks, mainly you unfortunate white guy to get caught up in that system. You find yourself chained to a black guy and chattel slavery. Prison labor exploitation in the 21st century. Just a few decades later, we are witnessing the return of all these systems of prison labor exploitation. Private corporations are able to lease factories and prisons as well as lease prisons out to their factories. Now, familiar private corporations are running prisons for profit. Government-run prison factories operate as multi-billion-dollar industries. Government-run prison factories operate as multi-billion-dollar dollar industries in every state. Multi-billion. That thing is not going to go away easily. And throughout the federal prison system. So that's not going away easy. When you see multi-billion, that's something that's uh, that's that's one of the pillars of the economic uh, stability of the country. So right or wrong, it's going to be very difficult to do something about that. Anyway, I think so. In the most punitive and racist prison system, we are even witnessing the return of the chain gang. Prisoner resistance and community organizing has been able to defeat some of these initiatives, but in Arizona, Maricopa County continues to operate the first woman's chain gang in the history of the United States. We got women out there on the chain gang. Shift in the United States economy and growing crisis of underdevelopment and poverty in communities of color have created conditions for current waves of mass incarceration and the boom in prison labor exploitation. In the Bayview Hunters Point neighborhood of San Francisco, a historically black community with an estimated 50% of unemployment rate, the community is facing criminalization, incarceration, and mass displacement as a result of gentrification. San Francisco, along with eight other countries in California, is implementing Gang injunctions, curfews, anti-loitering, anti-association laws that function very similar to black code for black, Latino, and Asian youth, using the pretext of gang prevention to track young men into the prison system to become prison labor while preparing the community for redevelopment and gentrification. Basically, going to move y'all out of that neighborhood. They move the folks in there they want in there. Okay? So, for anybody that is out on the street, living that street life, perpetuating violence and all kinds of negativity, you perpetuating your own debasement. You helping these people plan your own demise. So we got to find a better way to deal with the conditions. And I know they're harsh. 
that we live in. Struggles like these are being waged across the county to provide an opening to the link to link the demands for worker rights and community rights and prisoner rights. Fights against the exploitation of prison labor is at once a fight against racial profiling and mass incarceration and also the genuine economic development in black, Latino, Asian, Pacific Islander community. The labor movement in the United States has a responsibility to support prison and unions such as the Missouri Prison Labor Union, which is fighting for higher wages and collective bargaining and to challenge labor unions who dismiss prisoners at stealing jobs from the good law-abiding workers on the outside. The 13th Amendment was, the 13th Amendment states the uh, authorization to use prison labor as a bridge between slavery and paid work. Slavery was abolished except as a punishment for crime. This stipulation provided the intellectual and legal mechanism to enable the state to use unfree labor, slaves, uh, people who are incarcerated, how you want to look at it. You know, anybody incarcerated, not guilty also. We need to take that in consideration. Labor, use their labor by leasing prison to local businesses and corporations to fight to, re- to rebuild the South's infrastructure during, the, during this period. White redeemers, white planters, and farmers and political leaders basically just, you know, got their crop back. You want to look at people with crops. They got the crops that, or whatever their resources to do what they want to do with it. So I'm going I'm to go on. So to wear the badge of incarceration or to view incarceration as a right of passage or manhood is to co-sign the manipulation and the debasing of your own existence to my fellow uh, African-Americans, uh, Latinos, Hispanics, Asians, and Caucasians who are out on the street living by that code. That's not, that's not a code of life. That's a code of death and debasement. We need to raise the bar for our existence. We want to defend our community. We need to defend our community in a right way, in a way that preserves the lives of the people, uh, the quality of life, and the life of the people in our community. I think we need to keep that in mind. So if you want to uh, fight for something, better to die for a cause than to die just because, to quote uh, the last poet. The disappropriate incarceration of the black man. So while people of color make up 30% of the United States population, they account for 60% of those in prison. The prison population grew by 700% from 1970 to 2005. That's a lot. From 1970 to 2005. Now, you know those areas, that's, that's that when they dropped the bomb, you know, that drug bomb on us in the community. And you've seen that happen. You've seen the guns. You've seen the, the level of violence and the type of guns that everybody was able to get a hold to increase. So... That rate is outpacing crime and population rate. The incarceration rate disproportionately impacts men of color. One in every 15 African-American men and one in every 36 Hispanic men are incarcerated in comparison to one in every 106 white men. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, one in every three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. I'm just going to skip some of this because I don't really have a lot of time to talk about it. Students of color face harsher punishment in school than their white peers, leading to a higher number of youth of color incarcerated. According to recent data by the Department of Education, African-American students are arrested far more often than their white classmates. African-Americans Youth have higher rates of juvenile incarceration and are more likely to be sentenced to an adult prison as the number of incarcerated has increased by 800% over the last three decades, that's 30 years. Women of color have been disproportionately represented. The war on drugs has been waged primarily, primarily 
in communities of color where people of color are more likely to receive higher offenses. Once convicted, black offenders receive longer sentences compared to white offenders. Uh, I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty racist to me. Um, Through the law that prohibits people with felony convictions to vote, disproportionately impact men of color. If they're disproportionately represented and convicted and represented in the criminal justice system, then that voter law would automatically knock out those guys' uh, ability to vote. Studies have shown that people of color face disparities in wage trajectories following release from prison. That means a black man comes out of jail, he's going to make less money than a white guy. Hispanic guy going to have the same problem, Asian, same kind of problem. We know there are exceptions to the rule. The Secretary of Education, Arneen Duncan, announced that school discipline initiatives to bring increased awareness of effective policies and practices to ultimately dismantle the school-to-prison pipeline. States like California and Massachusetts are considering legislation to address the disproportionate suspensions among students of color and in Clayton County, Georgia, collaborative local reforms have resulted in a 47% reduction in juvenile court referrals and a 51% decrease in juvenile felony rates. Every little bit helps. Thumbs up for uh, Georgia and California and Massachusetts for at least uh, recognizing and trying to do something. So, Again, incarceration, who put the men go to? We don't have a lot of time on this kid. We're going to go to who benefits from the incarceration of people. Now, I got a guy here by the name of Michael Cohen. He, he singled out Mike Marco Rubio as one of the biggest beneficiaries, but he's just one guy. I, I thought very seriously he's one of the biggest beneficiaries, but Here's how things might go. That several industries have become notorious for the millions they spend on influencing legislation and getting friendly candidates, friendly candidates into office. Friendly candidate is that's your puppet in office. Big oil, big pharma, and the gun lobby among them. But one has managed to quickly build influence with comparatively little scrutiny, private prisons. The two largest for-profit companies in the United States, DEO and Correction Corporation of America, and their associates have funneled more than $10 million to candidates since 1989 and have spent nearly $25 million on lobbying efforts. For people who are not familiar with that, lobbying is a person who represents your interest in government. They spent $25 million in that, and you think that that means that they're not getting anything done. You spend $25 million because you can get something done. Meanwhile, these private companies have seen their revenue and market share soar. They now take a combined $3.3 billion in annual revenue and the private federal prison population more than doubled between 2000 and 2010, according to a report by the Justice Policy Institute. Excuse me. Private companies house nearly half of the nation's private companies house mainly half of the nation. I think we have a caller, but you're calling the wrong number. Caller, I need you to call on the um, the website number. So private companies house nearly half of the nation's immigrant detainees, compared to about 25 percent. A decade ago, said the um, Huffington Post report. There are now about 130 private prisons in the county, with about 1,500, no, 157,000 beds. For your information, the GEO Group Inc. GEO is a Florida-based company specializing in corrections, detention, and mental health treatment. It maintains facilities in North America, Australia. South Africa, United Kingdom, and the United Kingdom. The GEO Group facilitates 
facilities include maximum, medium, and minimum security prisons, immigration detention centers, minimum security detention centers, and mental health and residential treatment facilities. Mark, apparently Mark Rubio was involved with helping these guys make some money. So this is all about making sure like everything's about money. You follow the money trail and, you know, things seem like everything that happens is about somebody creating um, avenues for them to make money. The U.S. Senate has a history of close ties to the nation's second largest for-profit prison company, GEO Group, stretched back to his days as a speaker for the Florida House of Representatives. While Rubio was leading the House, GEO was awarded a state government contract for 110 million prisons, 110 million prisons soon after Rubio hired an economic consultant who had been a trustee for DEO Real Estate Trust. He did the connection, you understand? So this guy, he blames Rubio for, um, you know, I guess that happens with a lot of politicians, political meaning, but if it happened with Mark Rubio, it could happen with somebody else. There are currently 2.4 million people in American prisons. The number has grown by 500% in the past 30 years. While the United States has only 5% of the world's population, it holds 25% of the world's total prison population. Money is a huge reason why we have so many problems. Several corporations make huge profits off prisons. It costs an average of $23,876 annually to house a state prisoner for a year. That's a lot of money. Save money, cash that state, a.k.a. us taxpayers, right? <laughs> you pay for it. Pay companies to deal with their prisoners. Companies make money by running prisons as cheaply as possible and squeezing the prison, prisoners and their families for money for basic necessities and fees. As a result, private prisons are a $70 billion industry, not going anywhere. Very difficult for it to go somewhere if it does. So even crazy, 65% of private prison contracts require an occupation, an occupancy guarantee. 65% of prison contracts require an occupancy guarantee. How are you going to guarantee somebody that you're going to send somebody to jail? Now that right there is criminal in itself. That means state must, the states must have a certain amount of prisoners, typically between 80 and 90% of occupancy. They say you've got to keep our prisons full with 80 to 90% of, of the beds filled, or you've got to pay for the empty beds. Now, what kind of message are you distorting the people going on with this? Is it just, something's wrong with this picture. So six companies and industries making a profit off of incarceration. Global Link. They provide a service of about 57% of the state prisoners. Their rates are exorbitant. They charge up to $17 for a 15-minute phone call. And you guys making that 15-minute phone call? They charge us 17 bucks for that. I'm just saying, something's wrong with this picture. I'm going to skip on because we don't have a lot of the time, and I'll go back to some of the other stuff. Corazon. Corazon makes $1.4 billion a year providing health care in over 530 correctional facilities in 28 states. As a for-profit health care service, their goal is maximize profits, which generally means cutting costs and providing a low quality of care. Wow. For example, they were recently sued for uh, licensed vocational nurses to do the jobs of registered nurses, putting patients in danger of receiving inadequate care but saving Corazon 35% per nurse's salary. So they cut costs by putting a person who's not qualified legally to do a job instead of having an appropriate uh, person. That's like having a brain surgeon assistant, uh, you know, do the surgery on your brain, okay? The bail industry, when someone's arrested and arranged, it can be weeks or even months until their trial date is set. Bail is, the, is most used 
it Bell is the most used of options that judges have to that judges have to incentivize defendants to return. So Bell gives you the incentive to return. Your mom puts her house up towards your Bell, whatever she has, um, most of her savings. You know, so you, you don't run on that. You know, you, you stay, you sit. So they say, you, you know, all right, that's going to you know, give them bail. So they must either use bail bond service or stay in jail to await their trial. America and the Philippines are the only countries in the world that use bail bond systems. In most countries, bail bonds would be considered illegal, tampering with justice. This is because bail bond agencies are private companies with a say in whether or not people who are presumed innocent pre-trial go to jail. Bell Bonson can refuse service to whomever they like to change, they like or charge a non-refundable fee, which means that poor people are more likely to have to spend time in jail before their guilt or innocence is even determined. Hmm. Sound like a problem with the, the penal system to me, the criminal justice system also, not just the bail bond industry. I mean, because if you're innocent, you know, before proving guilty, why can't you go home? For example, I understand that some people shouldn't go home because they probably are guilty. You don't want to send them, you know, out of jail because they will run. Really. I mean, in the case of some people just can't afford bail, why can't they just go home? They're poor. They nothing to run, no reason to run, no money to run. Let them go home. You can run after paying bail. Anyway, law enforcement. Assets of forfeiture was intended to allow law enforcement to, this is crazy right here, law enforcement to seize assets that had been used and to commit a crime. Even if the crime was not committed by the owner of the property, ideally it would be used in a situation like one where organized criminals use a car to complete a uh, drug deal. In addition to arresting the drug dealer, the cops also would seize the car so it cannot be used in, a, in other crimes. It's a little bit unfair because the owner can be punished despite not actually having committed the crime, but it makes drug crimes harder to commit. I don't understand that. Unfortunately, law enforcement takes advantage of the asset procedure by seizing assets that have not been used to commit a crime. Officers don't have to prove that a crime was committed. Something's wrong with that picture. That's all right there. That seems like that's a violation of your of your uh, constitutional rights, right there. Uh, due process. They only have to suspect it. And once the asset has been seized in some states, it does not have to be returned. That's thievery. Even if it has been proven that no crime has been committed, that is thievery. So, Corrections Corporation of America, the CCS, for profit prison industry is worth $70 billion. Prison, private prison companies like CCA and the GEO Group approach cash at states and offer to save them money by buying their prisons. However, evidence that private prisons save money is mixed at best. States pay a daily fee for each prisoner housed in a private prison prison, and corporations set a number of beds, usually no less than a 1,000, and an occupancy rate usually around 90%. And, you know, you heard about, you read about that, the 89%. That means even if, even if there's no beds, they still want to get paid. I don't know how you do that. I worked in a group home, and, and you don't have you don't have 12, you had 10 guys, you got 12 beds, you only get paid for 10 people. So what are these guys doing? The war on drugs has also created a blooming prison population by increasing arrests for petty offenses such as marijuana possession. America has the longest first-time drug offense since five to ten years a develop, of developed nations. Research shows, however, that incarceration does not reduce crime because incarceration only prevents crime when a subject is locked up, when it is locked up, research shows further that the possibility of prison does prison time does not deter crime before it happens. 
and may actually encourage prisoners to commit more crimes once they are released as recidivism rates are astonishingly high. In actuality, prison creates a cycle of crime and imprisonment, and prison creates a cycle of crime and imprisonment in impoverished neighborhoods. So impoverished neighborhoods, you have this crime of cycle of crime. Committed crime, the judge come out, can't find a job, can't find a job, paying good, he don't want to hire you, so you can make some money on the street, right? So this article was published by the Global Research in 2008. In the United States, in the United States, they say a prison population has a prison population of two million, mostly black and Hispanic, are working for various industries for pittance for the tycoons who have invested in the prison industry. It has been like finding how to go. They don't have to worry about strikes or paying unemployment insurance, vacations, or comp time. That's like sending your outputs and your work to uh, Indonesia or some small so-called third world uh, country. All of their workers are full-time and never arrive late or are absent because of family problems. You can't go to your family problems. Your kid gets sick. You can't stay home from prison. So if they don't like the pay of 25 cents an hour and refuse to work, they're locked up in isolated cells. There are possibly 2 million inmates in state and federal private prisons throughout the country, according to the California Prison Focus. No other society in human history has imprisoned so many um, other citizens. The figures show that the United States has locked up more people than any of the country. A half million more, which has a population five times greater than that of the U.S. Statistics reveal that the United States holds 25% of the world's population, but only 5% of the world's people. From less than 300,000 inmates in 1972, the jail population grew to 2 million by the year 2000. That's sad. In 1990, it was 1 million. Ten years ago, there were only five private prisons in the country with a population of 2,000 inmates. Now there are 100 with 62,000 inmates. It is expected that by the, coming, by the coming decade, the number will hit 360,000 according to reports. What has happened in the last 10 years? Well, we talked about some of that. The private contracting of prisons for workforce is incentives to lock people up. Prisons depend on this income. Corporate stockholders who make money off prisoners work lobby for longer sentences. So they lobby for longer sentences through legislation too. So, so like maybe you might get caught with five bags a week, you're going away for a little bit instead of uh in a, a kind of a summary of that. I'm going to use that as an example. I don't know. So the system feeds itself. This is studied by the Progressive Labor Party, which accuses the prison industry of being an imitation of Nazi Germany with respect to forced slave labor and concentration camps. The prison industry complex is one of the fastest growing industries in the United States, and its investors are on Wall Street. Okay, the investors in the prison industry are on Wall Street. So that means it's serious business. This multi-million dollar industry has its own trade, exhibitions, conventions, websites, and mail order internet catalog. It also has direct advertising campaigns Um. Campaign one of the construction companies, investment houses on Wall Street, plumbing, supply companies, food supply companies, armed security, and padded cells in a large variety of colors. You got colors for the padded cells. Is that something? So, who's investing? At least 37 states have legalized the contracting of prison labor by private corporations that mount their operations inside state prisons. The list of countries contains the cream of U.S. corporate society. These are the big boys. 
right? It's the name of Phil. IBM, in the prison. Boeing, in the prison. Motorola, Microsoft, AT&T, Wireless, Texas Instrument, Dell. I think I got a Dell computer. Compact, Honeywell. No, I got a Hewitt-Packard. Uh, Nortel, Lucent Technologies, 3Com, Intel. That's how they, most of the major computer people are getting their, uh, you know, getting it on in the prison system. Uh, Northern Telecom, TWA, Nordstrom, Revlon, Macy, Pierre Cardin, Target Stores, and many more. All these businesses are excited about the economic boom generated by prison labor. Just between 1980 and 1994, profits went up from $392 million to $1.30 Inmates in state penitentiaries generally receive the minimum wage for their work, but not at all. In Colorado, they get about $2 per hour, well, under the minimum. In a privately run prison, they receive as little as 17 cents per hour for a maximum of six hours a day. Wow. 17 cents per hour. Like, man, how much does a cigarette cost this prison? Like, 17 cents. Like, come on. Like, anyway, the equivalent of $20 per month. The highest paying private prison is CCA in Tennessee, where prisoners receive 50 cents per hour for what they call highly skilled position. At those rates, it is no surprise that the inmates find the pay in federal prisons to be very generous. So I guess, it's, you know, you rather go to a federal prison because you're going to make more money, more money being 50 cents per hour. That's slavery. There. And it, these, are, these are major corporations. These are like people who are making millions of dollars. Billions of dollars. So they they can be they can earn a dollar twenty five an hour and work eight hours a day and sometimes overtime. They can send someone home, some money home, like two hundred, three hundred uh, per month. So I mean that's I mean when you when you look at it, you know that's kind of like a you know two and three hundred dollars a month. But when you look at it proportionally. The money they helping these people make, come on. Even though you're incarcerated, your work is should be valuable. And you're trying to rehabilitate the uh, people who are incarcerated, but you also showing them that you know, teaching them to be uh, predators because you use them and you force them in a situation where they work for little to nothing. We have a caller. Caller, welcome to Provocative Thoughts. Uh, hello, this is Q. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yeah, um, first of all, I'd like to say good uh, evening to you and your help. And uh, I just want to offer uh, two things about this, about this uh, situation. It's, um, as far as, like, uh, black people... That thing stepped against, you know, obviously for what you're saying and everything like that. So that's like, that's like the system being stacked against them. But they're kind of playing into, to the hands of the system. That, um, you know, from, from another point of view, because um, they keep, you know, some of them, not everybody, but some people just just play right into that, trying to be that, that. You know, that guy, you know what I mean? That um that gangster and all that kind of thing like that. It seems like they kinda of playing right into that system what you're talking about. That's that's all I want to do. Uh, that's true. But you know, but uh there's certain uh systemic uh conditions that are facilitate conditions with where people, some people respond to uh can I say fear the thrive in the economic matrix of, of a society or economic system and they find other ways to make money. Mhm. Right. So I mean 
Right, because, I mean, you know, not many people can bring uh, drugs in the country like the guy from what's American Gangster, Frank, whatever his name was. There's not too many guys doing that, but. Right. I agree. Right. So, I mean, I mean, like, I mean, we know that the, uh, in um, early American life that these gangs were formed because of these people, these ethnic people, uh, failure to thrive in the community or that the inability of the uh, society to provide for them in, in the economic matrix. So they begin to create some people prizes. What they can't work and make, they still in state, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, so somewhere, if I, if I know that, if I've seen that in a book, right, in some literature, mm-hmm. uh, somebody else knows that. So if you know if you deprive people of what they need to survive or improve their quality of life, some people will find other means of doing it, right? And for you, you have even prostitution. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. So they know that this is going to occur, but this, but this information is saying that even at that, you got a white guy that in that same situation, he's less likely to be convicted, less likely to go to jail, less likely to get up to as long as sentence. You know what I'm saying? So, right. You know, we had that kind of problem. And and as I said previously, I, I agree with you. We need to find another way to deal with our, our problem. Right. So do we have any uh, suggestions? Uh, listen, anybody uh, have any suggestions on what we can, what we can do? I mean, how do we help each other? Because if we're not going to do that, then this, that's just going to perpetuate what's happening. If all we do is get ours, which is what's happening to us, you know, and and it says I'm going to get mine no matter what. I'm going to do what I need to do to get mine. So if you have that attitude, you're just going to get yours no matter what it does to somebody else. Then this that system, this system of incarceration and enslavement. Is going to be perpetuated, and they're going to make more money. We're going to have less opportunity because less opportunity is given to uh, uh, people who have been incarcerated, especially if you have a long record. Even though I know some people that have been incarcerated many times, and they have uh, nice jobs now. They're not rich, right. man, but they are. You know, they're straight, and they live. They have um, reputable jobs. That's right. not going to happen for everybody. Everybody's not going to get a job like that. Right. Right. So we all can't, you know, what? how do we help people, you know, how do we help prevent people from ending up in this grinder, this cycle, right? Right. Because anybody can in the cycle because you have you, this madness is going on in our community, in our country. It's not just in the black community anyway, but if you're talking about the black community, how do we how do we slow it down? Okay, so we can't stop it. How do we slow it down? How do we how do we make people feel safe in the community? Well, you got to start at a young age, just like they start at a young age determining um when to start building prisons. They start making that determination, you know, like you said before previously, at a very early age. So you got to you got to attack it, or we have to attack it at a younger age as well. At a younger age, that's good. So it has to be everybody. All points. All names. There's only one thing about that. Huh? Say again? There's only one thing about attacking at a a younger age. We live in these huge communities where your child learns from people other than you. Right. Right, because you send your kid to school at what? What, maybe five or six years old, so she's... Your child, you can teach them whatever you want. I've seen a lot of good boys out on the street. They used to be good boys. They're out on the street doing some bad stuff, hanging with some other kids that's doing some bad stuff. But they used to be good boys. Right. I'm, I'm thinking that everybody started off as a good boy for the most part. Right. You know, but you learn. You get socialized into different things. And you uh, forsake good things that you learn, things you learn about from your, your grandma, your mom, your pop. Be good, you know. Don't do this. Don't steal. Don't lie. And you get, then you 
You with a bunch of cats are still in line. Get you this. You want to get those chips over there? You ain't got to pay for them. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I'm saying? With that bike, just don't take it. Come on, if your parents can't afford to buy you a bike, they're the one right there. All right. And once you get away with that, you know what I'm saying? Once you get away with that a couple of times, hey, shoot. You know, that's a struggle. Huh? That's the struggle. That's part of the struggle. Right. You know? So how do we how do we start turning that around? Because that's a that's a beast that's roaming around in our community and not just in black communities, the Latino community, uh, poor communities, a middle class community it could be anywhere actually. And you can find that, that attitude anywhere nowadays. Right. But African Americans who are so disproportionately represented in the criminal justice system, how do we not end up there? Like I was just saying, you just gotta keep struggling, trying to change that perception of you know, these perceptions they have on how to be a, a black man and everything like that. Like their whole perception of being bad and everything, not um, not doing well in school, you know, or doing well in school is white and not being black. All those, all those ideas, got to flip all that stuff back to the way it's supposed to be. You know, you got to keep moving forward. Okay, well, because you know we have, as a, you know, it's stacked against you because you know you have to, you have um. You got, you got social and economic isolation, right? Then you have um, these laws that are that are set up to trap African Americans. You know what I'm saying? Latino or African American Latino, right? Right. Okay. We have 90 seconds left, so you know the the uh, war on drugs. Uh, Put a bullseye on a lot of African Americans and Latinos. That's why we uh, so much represent the uh, prison system, with the fact that we're you know we're more likely to be arrested uh, and incarcerated and sent to jail for a long period of time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So we have 60 seconds left, and I'm gonna before we uh, go, I just wanna go back and I wanna thank uh, everybody for tuning in today. Our uh, caller. I want to thank Queen Mother for Real Media for allowing me to host the show. Also, also the creator that did that. And I want everybody to tune in um, next week. I want to uh, take a swipe at uh, something I really don't really indulge in too much, politics. We're going to look at the uh, electoral vote. So I want to thank everybody for calling in. Uh, Q, you still there? All right, so I want everybody to remember you know, I hope that, uh, you know, you pass your words to the brothers. I want to remind everybody that the show is a video call. Take a look at the uh, video call 13. Uh, everybody should watch that, you know, especially you uh, people of color. Please uh, watch the video call the 13. Again, thank you, and I'll see you next week. Mr. Jones, thank you too, brother.
revolution will not give your mouth sex appeal. The revolution will not get rid of the nub. The revolution will not make you look five pounds thinner because the revolution will not be televised, brother. There will be no pictures of you and Willie Mae pushing that shopping cart down the block on the dead run or trying to slide that color TV into a stolen ambulance. NBC will not be able to predict the winner at 8.32 on the point from 29 districts. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of Whitney Young being run out of Harlem on the rail with a brand new process. There will be no slow motion or still life of Roy Wilkins strolling through what in a red, black, and green liberation jumpsuit that he has been saving for just the proper occasion. Green Acres, Beverly Hillbilly, and Hooterville Junction will no longer be so damn relevant, and women will not care if Dick finally got down with Jane on Search for Tomorrow because black people will be in the street looking for a brighter day. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no highlights on the 11 o'clock news and no pictures of Harry R. Women Liberationist and Jackie Onassis blowing her nose. The theme song will not be written by Jim Webb or Francis Scott Key, nor sung by Glenn Campbell, Tom Jones, Johnny Cash, Engelbert Humperdinck, or The Rare Earth. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be right back after a message about a white tornado, white lightning, or white people. You will not have to worry about a dove in your bedroom, the tiger in your tank, or the giant in your toilet bowl. The revolution will not go better with coke. The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be no rerun. 